podcast that did not catch the coronavirus at a warrior wrestling show um quentin how are you doing tonight i'm good my dog is freaking out on the couch right now but Perfect. yeah I'm, yeah I'm, I'm all right man uh <laughs> i guess like last couple of days have been like a lot but you know, i'm in a better mood yeah it wouldn't be a episode of this podcast uh if uh, you're, if bailey wasn't in the background making a bunch of noise um but Quentin, this week we are <laughs> the Edge Lords, and uh, I I was explaining it to you before we started, but I do think that like the Edge Lord, like kind of style and what that means, really has become the mainstream so much now that like all of politics is about being an Edge Lord and like being in on the troll and being in on the joke, and if it's your side who's lying cheating stealing it's okay because they're doing it on you know you're in on it and so it's it's good and i think that we've really gone away from people being authentic and actually caring um i think that there's a lot of people who try to but uh, i think a lot of the mainstream culture has gotten to that point um i know you wanted to talk about you know real life politics and things that have been uh, affecting b- b- you b- b- before, before we jump in it's like like i, like I missed the days of like when the only relationship between the internet and politics was like conspiracy theories, right? Like now, like I, like you feel you're like right. Every like like the internet and politics like really go hand in hand right now. In like the internet and the way the internet operates, and like you know, like all this like super reactionary stuff is what people like want to follow. At this point in time, it's like is like that's like a perfect encapsulation of like why we're in the shit that we're in now because like these are people that we give like voices and pay attention to like your fucking Ben Shapiro's and what, what's that fucking dude the, the some like something Watson the um and all and all and all these guys that we just pay attention to for being edgelords and it's like and like it's, it's people that like don't exist in real and like that, that I still feel like like a lot of me a lot of people like still feels like they don't exist in real life like like i'm like i don't know like ben shapiro will go what's the word like ben shapiro will know he can get away with something like these people like don't really exist to me outside of like the like little realms they occupate and it's like such a fascinating thing for me to sit there and like watch them like then like say some stupid shit that goes all over twitter and like you know might make its way into like uh real conservative talking points I was like, man, like at the same time, you aren't a real fucking person. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. This stuff gets it gets tested out. Now it like gets tested out and 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 kind of incubated on, in these online spaces. And it's like it is it's wrapped in irony because irony is you know the the language the lingua franca of the internet basically is like irony. But actually, maybe I'm kind of being truthful. And then it like slowly gets taken to the mainstream and absorbed. And I was thinking about it the other day. I'm like, I I. I I miss the days because I'm like a po- politics junkie idiot person who's followed everything constantly forever. And it's like it used to come in cycles and I don't think it's going to happen again where like the mainstream and everyone's paying attention to politics for a little bit and then they stop paying attention. It feels like it's been years of everyone is all in because it is like the easiest 
dog and pony show, you know, ra horse race kind of thing to just constantly be able to get people whipped up about because they feel like there's something important there. And I think that that focus from the mainstream and so many people paying attention to it and so many people wanting to get kind of what they get out of a, a sports competition or something out of politics causes even more polarization between the political parties. I mean, we used to have like a functioning government and we don't anymore. And like with the stuff that's going on with the Supreme court, it like really shows how obvious it is that like we can't, our government can't get anything done because you've got the party, the Republican party very smartly sees what this is now is it's a competition between the two parties and that's it. And they just play politics like a game of us against them. And they're not really trying to do anything except for win. And that is like the same thing. It's like you win by trolling, right? That's like the whole point of, of fucking being an edgelord is you win by trolling the person. You get somebody else upset, you, you won. And that's kind of like politics are now that. I don't feel like people are going to turn off and stop paying attention to it. And, and like, yeah, I, I didn't enjoy following politics and all this stuff because I thought it made me cool or a good person or anything that I just like, you know, I liked it. It's the same as watching yeah, football, and, basketball, and, and, whatever, yeah. but and also at the same time, like it's like important to follow that kind of yeah. important to follow that stuff. Yeah, it's interesting and it's important and it has real. But now it's like it's not, it's almost like harder to care about watching because it doesn't have any real like concrete like nothing's going to come from it because it's all on roller skates and basically the government is run by like you know. No, nothing happening basically because it can't as we just slowly like things get worse and worse so yeah <laughs> definitely uh definitely of the time it's really interesting to think about like what the fuck is gonna happen will things ever kind of go back to i guess normal is not the right word at this point because it feels like this is it this is normal again now um i feel like it's been a big it's been a crazy year for kind of coming to realizations on stuff like that that like it felt like the world was just the same forever and 2016 would never end. And then now it's like, actually the world has completely changed and I don't think it ever goes back to what it was like before. Well, it's like, you know, um, I guess like if you like really believe in like the things that like, uh, Mark said about like, you know, like the political, like about like the, like, you know, the, uh, cycle of like the, uh, economic places and political cycles that that will be in like, you know, like this, like this would be like you know this right now, and like the years that may come after, like are like prime time for like that, like you know, revolution that people always talk about happening. And it's like, I don't know. Part like part of me really wonders with like how much like tension that there is right now, like going back to like you know like civil rights levels, like LGBTQ, like you know like starting levels. uh you know, anti-war levels, like, getting to that point again in history, like, if the, now there won't be a, now they're like, you know, we might not see a pacifier, or something like, you know, to sit there and, like, uh, make everybody think that every, everything changed, like, right now, I don't see anything on the horizon that, like, could possibly, like, calm people down, especially when, like, you know, going back into what I wanted to talk about, like, the Breonna Taylor thing, where, like, you had this woman that got killed an innocent woman that got killed in the revisionist history that goes on by you know these conservative outlets and the people involved in, in her murder um 
and it's like okay cool you had a no knock uh warrant so you can go in this person's house because you assume they had like a copious amounts of drugs or money there okay fine like if you if that's the game you want to play that's fine there wasn't any drugs and money there and now a woman is dead so what happens now like shouldn't someone go to jail for that shouldn't there be accountability for that someone is dead now you fucked up why is someone not taking accountability for that how come john mattingly from the louisville metro police department can put out an email and the only thing he's concerned about is that the city doesn't have his back or that they feel like protesters have all the autonomy and not the fact that like you killed like you were part of an innocent woman dying and all you care about is your, is your police force that's all you care about and like i always imagine that like whatever like the verdict came from like uh the george from the george floyd case like that may be like that may be like the thing they use to like try to ease the tension and show like hey we're listening we care we do all this but like and and, and there will never be a make good for everything that they've like done to black people throughout the course of american history but like you know it would like that'd be like the one thing that people could be like okay well they got this one right no matter how right they get the george floyd one this the, the brianna taylor thing will out all will outweigh severely anything they ever get done now like if this like government if this like you know like the people in charge the high like the elected officials like people in the government had to like had a chance to like try to like you know quote unquote make things right or make it seem like they care this was it but like now after the fact that a dude is getting charged for property damage and not the fact that a 24 year old woman lost her life I don't no no one's gonna give a fuck what what like what they give Derek Chauvin and the rest of those and the rest of those cops involved in George Floyd's death. That does not matter now because you let so like you're about to charge someone for property damage when a woman died wrongly, and like I just I just can't get over that. That's like been on my mind for for days. Like it hasn't left that like and like it's like the lack of self awareness. Like uh life is lost she's not coming back like that property can get fixed with however like you know a couple hundred couple thousand couple tens of thousands a couple tens of thousands of dollars and it'll be fixed and passed right up brianna taylor is dead she's not coming back like there's no way to fix that and the best you can do is like you know go, go to a civil suit which is a way uh way less uh restrictive of proof and all, and all that stuff than like you know going through criminal charges is and you know great for Breonna Taylor's family that they won that civil suit but I've just been so mad and so just like just in, in a really like just angry space the last couple of days just based off the fact that a man is going to get charged with property damage when a young woman is dead wrongly and no one is taking accountability for that yeah and I mean I don't know why I'm trying to think of you know this is obviously a, a terrible case in general and, and and language it's hard to use the correct language in general to like express the emotions of something like this this is where it fails you it's like I don't know the, the word that's popping in my head is like patronizing and that's not even correct like the correct word and I don't know why I can't think of you know something that really expresses the emotion more but the idea that yeah like property damage is the charge 
is so like yeah patronizing so patronizing is not even the right word but just it's a sla- it's a slap in the face it like it's like really a sla- it's like it's like it's, it's like insulting intelligence it's worse. All, that kind of, all that kind of it's it's like yeah it's like it's like the worst possible like way like you know of doing this like someone is dead someone has been dead for months with no arrest being made and the best that you can come up with the best that you can do is charging someone for the bullets that didn't hit her Right. When, like that's fucking insane. It's like it's disgusting. And, 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 and like the the revisionist history of like what happened to her is what pisses me off the most. Like if you like, yes they had they yes they had their warrant, but they shot they shot first. They invaded they invade they invaded her home first. Kenneth Walker protected himself against people that were in plain clothes. So they want to say like, oh, like Char- fucking Charles Barkley wants to go on inside inside the NBA and talk about you got to remember that they shot at the police. After the police shot at them in plain clothes, they didn't announce who they were. Mm-hmm. They didn't do any of that. They shot in her house in plain clothes. Why? There's no defending this. Why is there no accountability for this? And it's this, this shit always with cops. And it's always and like I just. It just never ceases to piss me off that someone is dead. If you want to talk about how hard being a cop is and a stressful decision and a split se- split second decisions a cop has to make, whatever, that's fine. What happens when they fuck up? Why is no one account? Why is no one accountable when they fuck up? Why does no one go to jail when someone dies because a cop fucked up? What I don't understand why they get this, why they get this immunity, why they get to like, oh, you'll get them next time, or you know, you you were doing the right thing, you just made a mistake. Why do they get that when someone died? It's not like you just arrested somebody. It's not like you just had the wrong person in custody. Someone is dead because you made a mistake. And uh, you know, I was just looking it up to make sure. It's like in in Kentucky, they have the castle doctrine. So like, that's something that's really easy, I guess. It's not easy. None of this is fucking easy. I was going to say this is, it's easy to overlook, but it's the, the wrong word. It's like nothing is easy about any of this. But if you don't think about it, if it's not put to you in the right terms, a no-knock raid in a state where you have the assumption that if anyone intrudes into your property, you have the legal can, you, right to defend yourself. You can yourself. defend yourself. <laughs> It should not exist. There's no reason you shouldn't be able to have no knock raids. There, they should be illegal. It seems in general. These things, like these things, like they, like these things, straight up conflict with each other. Like these whole beliefs, like conflict with each other. Like at that point, so yeah. you want to execute a no knock raid and you want to arrest her boyfriend or detain her boyfriend at the, or to detain her boyfriend after everything went down because he shot at you and they were and they were cops. But he also has the right to defend himself from men who were dressed in plain clothes. Yeah. Who, not who like busted his door down? It's like so. Which one is it? It's like when you know it's you know it's st- it stand your ground when George Zim- when George Zimmerman kills Trayvon Martin, but Trayvon Martin wasn't standing his ground when George Zimmerman is the one that you know antagonized him. Right. Like it's like which like, which one is it? Yeah, I mean it is it is the the two tiered system that we have in America when it comes to the justice system, and it it it's 
definitely highly racialized it's also class there's also a class divide obviously between mm-hmm. you know the top and the bottom but yeah it's like heavily racialized we talked about it but that's the intersection you know i think even before we started the podcast we were recording we we're talking a little bit about like intersectionality um but like there is a major intersection between the you know the working class versus the ruling class and the you know the the racial division as well and and that's the thing that needs you know people workers of the world unite is not just like a fun slogan to say it really is about that you're being lied to and they're using racism to divide us because it it works because it works historically and people need to understand that like these people everyone involved in this are you know are being taken down for the protection of private property which comes right back to the point of like the, the thing that to me the most disgusting and, and most egregious part of that the ruling that like destroying private property is what at that point just give them nothing i really i find that to be so disgusting and so just yeah just like it, like, like like that like that's almost worse yeah than like the like than like him like you know just getting off and like them saying that there's no issue here Right. Like the fact that you just like so like you're like, he's gonna he might get charged with a wanton damagement. What the fuck? Someone's in a grave because of him. It, it, <laughs> like, any charge that, at all admits that there was some kind of wrongdoing, right? And if yeah. you're admitting then that there was any kind of wrongdoing and someone ended up dead, then that means that they should be charged with something serious. The idea that you're willing to admit that there was wrongdoing, but what you're doing is basically a slap on the wrist saying you destroyed private property. That's why I say it's like it's so galling and it's so just patronizing and disgusting because, yeah, if you just let him go, then you're just saying, you know, no charges. Then you're saying nothing wrong happened. They were right in what they did. But like any kind of charges saying any like that just makes it clear that you're saying they did something wrong. But it's just so disgusting to be like what you did wrong was damaged property again because that's what the police are they are meant to protect protect the private property of the ruling class from the underclass and brianna taylor she was she worked for the government correct wasn't she in she was was an emt she was an emt okay Uh, for some reason i thought that she was um worked in some kind of uh uh law enforcement but no she's emt okay which is even fucking worse like god damn it man (laughs) ah someone who's a healthcare professional someone who's trying to be out there doing good and for them to do this. And she was just asleep in her room. She w- wasn't even involved in anything, really. It's no, just... like, you know, they, 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 they had like, suspected an ex-boyfriend of hers that might have might have, or might, might have or might not have been selling drugs. And they got a warrant. And it's like, man, like, why not? Why not fucking double check or something, man? Like, not like, it's just like. And we don't have to like go into like the whole like realm of like policing and like things just going way too fucking far and militarization of police and like how much of a joke that is the police like have like all this power to not like be held accountable for like you know like clear like things like where it should have just so unnecessary but like like you can't like I I just keep thinking about this dude's email he's like he like there's no sense of regret or remorse at all and like I understand like in certain occupations like as a doctor like you know as you keep going like you kind of get numb to certain things i understand that when you're like you know even as a cop when you like you know walk you know when you come into a crime scene or a detective when you come into a crime scene like you've seen like bodies and crime scenes and blood and like you get numb to certain things i can understand that but like when you are wrong i just can't imagine like just sleeping at night in good conscience and not and not understanding why, why people are so mad at you 
Like, you were wrong. Someone is wrongly dead. And, like, you just can't fathom why people would be mad at you or want you fired or want you in jail. And, like... I, I just can't I just can't keep, just keep thinking like the person like the dude they're looking for wasn't even there just wasn't even there had nothing to do with it and you know you know I, I, I'm, I'm just at, at such a loss for words I mean even if he was there like that yeah, again, like, yeah even, if, even if he was that like, you, you, you come in just fucking shooting <laughs> that's salt in the wound obviously that it was all completely pointless but it is it's like who, who fucking cares the guy is wanted for selling drugs yeah. Why did why do the cops need a no knock raid to come after someone for selling drugs? What are, what is that person? How is that person a danger, a threat to anyone, if they're just in their apartment because they're a known drug dealer? But something but, like but, a no- but, 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 but Kyle Rittenhouse can cross state lines and actually kill people, right. and like you know wave off the cops, tell tell them, nah, I don't think I'm gonna go to my hearing tomorrow. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, or I'm gonna turn myself in, or I'm not gonna turn myself in today. And like, there's not this fucking like countrywide manhunt to go find him. I mean, fuck. Like, there's footage what, of him, like, what the fuck is going on? There's footage of him within moments of the shooting, right? Like, you could theoretically still categorize him as an active shooter, and the police are letting him go by to run away from the crime scene. Like, there's, I saw pictures of stuff like that where the police are like, "Oh yeah, you go over that way" or whatever. While he's like an active fucking shooter, basically, and again, like I said, what's the what's the danger to the community of a drug dealer who's inside of their apartment? Why did the police need to raid that person? Again, like the police can not 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 just not just raid like a no knock raid where they came in shooting, like like not just a raid like they treated them like they were like the like yeah. you know, like in the, in the like the way the Black Panthers got treated was obviously like you know unwarranted too where they're treating them like it was like fucking 1968 like Black Panthers right and just coming in like shooting like that's insane to me I, it's 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 fucking crazy I know and it's it is it comes down to the police are treating a low level offense a, a criminal who basically it's like a vic- drug dealing is a victimless crime I don't fucking care what people think people overdose people have drug issues you're taking advantage but if you're going to consider drug dealing to be a you know a crime that truly has a victim and not just a, a vice a crime of vice then you'd have to consider like selling coca-cola a fucking a, a, a victim full crime because people die from sugar constantly like whatever like okay it's a victimless crime and you're treating it as if it's like an active like a like you're actively going into war against a, a fucking a, a, a faction of like insurgents or something you're coming at them guns blazing to break in for someone who's basically engaged in a victimless crime what is the fucking point what are you and i know because i've already even said it it's like i've gotten myself so worked up and i'm upset but i know what it is i know what it comes down to and it really just comes down to yeah it's 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 an oppressive arm of the state that's being basically pushed by the ruling class to keep us down and anyone who does anything positive or negative like they if it's outside of the bounds of what they deem part of their control it it has to go and it has to be stopped no matter who is endangered and whose life is tragically ended which is the thing that's like the worst fucking part about all this really is someone died and none of it 
it was completely senseless, all of it. And this was not just someone, it was someone who was doing good. An EMT. People are gonna fucking die as a result of her not existing. You know what I mean? EMTs save lives. And the police basically didn't just kill her, but they killed anybody who she may have saved afterwards. And that's despicable. It really is. Yeah, just, just, had to get, just had to get that off my chest. Like, it's been, like, really best on me the last, like, couple of days. And I just keep going back to, to, to the point I made at the beginning of this is that, like, you know, George Floyd being, like, the one unanimous, like, everyone can agree that what happened there was really fucked up and that those guys should go to jail. Like, whatever they do, it just doesn't matter now. Like, it just does not matter now. Like... Even if you like, if you want to like view this and and like you know their like selfish fucked up eyes of like you know how can we calm this down? How can we like change the public perception? Like they could have won the game. It's fucked up as a sound. They could have they could have had it. Like they could have done this one small gesture of charging that dude or the rest of them with like you know accessory to murder and then charging him with like second degree murder. Like they could have like they could have had that in. And I get it. Like it's like state by state cases, and I understand that. But like, no one stepping in, no one adding, any, no one adding any pressure. You like, you guys fucked up. Yeah. Like, this is back on now. Like, and, and granted, like you know, we're like people were still out in the streets, like out, like you know, in the way in the aftermath of Jacob Blake and everything. But like, this is back on now. You guys fucked up. Like, this isn't going away anytime soon. We've like th- this been constant protesting since. When, when was George Floyd? Uh, April, Mar- April, May. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like it's been it's been constant protesting for going on five months now, six months now. Like this is gonna be a thing for like the rest of the year at least. <sighs> Damn. Ah, uh, it is. I mean, you know, this kind of civil unrest and, and upheaval can be can be good, but it's really hard to get through it's really emotionally draining to see this stuff happening and yeah i mean just to even just to press the charges and to go through the case would have been enough really even if in the end they get whatever slap on the wrist they get for everything just to to make it clear that that we don't stand for this and we don't say that what they did was okay yeah, like, like, like the like the bare fucking minimum. They need like, they like they somehow missed the bare minimum. I think that like, and granted, like they they like they have their own moments of not doing anything at all. So like, but still, like they missed the bare minimum, and what they could have done here. And like at this point, like I don't, like, I don't, I don't really like care. Like like at this point, what happens? Like you know, when it comes to like any you know, oh like the, the cops got shot in Compton. Or whatever, and like you know, like like, and everyone you know wants to play the what about game. Like, well, if you got if you guys are so mad about this, then what about these two cops? Thinking, okay, yeah, I'm sorry that two cops got shot, like sitting right there. But I guarantee they're gonna do everything in their power to go find that person, and they're not gonna do anything about when a cop kills somebody. Yeah, they're yeah. gonna they're gonna do, they'll do they'll do everything in their power to find whoever shot those cops. They are not gonna do a fucking thing. To, to, to charge the cops, hold the cops accountable for the next person they kill. Yeah, it's it's and it's constant. I mean, it really is. It's, you, you, 
whataboutism, whatever, all this, like, it doesn't fucking count. Like, to try to call this any kind of tit for tat is not fair. It's, it's, it's comparing a water gun to a fucking atomic bomb when you talk about the body count for random cops getting shot versus how much the police industrial complex, how many people they've murdered. You know, so, yeah, f- fuck off with talking about the body count or whatever. And I, I get it. They're people, and it's really... I was trying to hold back from even saying anything when you started bringing that up because I understand that it's like it's off-putting for people to hear someone talk cavalierly about anyone dying and I understand why but I think the people themselves abstract from that and don't think about the the people who got killed who I know nothing about them as people I don't know if they what they did or didn't deserve anything or that I mean they're cops so they already have a strike against them when it comes to that as far as I'm concerned but that doesn't fucking matter. My point is just look at it and to use it as any kind of political argument or to try to point it out as being hypocrisy, it's you're completely off base because yeah, like I said, it's like like again, like again, like in a perfect world, like yeah, I should like I, we should all be equally outraged that like they got like the that, that these cops should should have like got shot like that. But like you know that like but it rings hollow when these same people who are outraged about the cops. Don't give a flying fuck about what happened to any of these unarmed black people. Like, that's the issue. It's like, you guys only care when it happens to cops. Like, what about the people that were really doing nothing? That like, you want to bring up criminal records that have nothing to do with why they're being why they're being arrested or harassed or even choked out at that time. But you know, what happens to a cop is all well. See, this is what you guys are: propaganda and. uh your Marxist, your mark, your mark, your Marxism, and your uh, your picking and choosing, and it's okay. Like it's the same theory as like this, you know, all lives matter shit. Like yeah, in principle, like all lives should matter. But if black lives clearly don't matter when we're talking about this, then like why are we having this conversation? Yeah. Like if we're not gonna have justice for these for these black bodies that have been killed for years and years and years. Why suddenly, when it's a cop, is that, that that everyone actually want answers now? Actually, want justice when innocent people have gotten killed, and now a cop, and now now a cop gets gets dealt at hand, and now we all want justice. It's it just, you know, what I'm and I'm sorry if I made you uncomfortable there, but no, yeah, no, it's not even that you made me uncomfortable. It's that you made me like I was trying to be like self, <laughs> I guess like. Uh, just protect myself from people getting upset if I say something that they might not agree with or that it's not like, you know, like I said, come across a little bit cavalier or whatever. It's not that I, I'm uncomfortable. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a good boy and not say the first thing that comes to my mind when it comes to this stuff. But it's just like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's we don't live in. the. <laughs> that's the thing. Like people love to take someone who has the politics that I do and believes the things that I do and then hold me to the standards that I espouse as being kind of like the utopian ideal of what I would like. But guess what? I don't live in that it's, it's, fucking it, world. It's, it's so, it's so funny to me. Cause like, that's what people do to know, to do, do to no name all the time. Like, I don't right. know if you like follow no name on Twitter or, or follow yeah, yeah. her when she had a Twitter, but like, yeah, like every, you know, no name will preach like, you know, all this like anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist, anti-colonial, uh, anti-colonialist stuff. And then like the minute she does, anything that he would just like might, might find mm-hmm. disagreeable like her like uh you know there's this point about like you know her talking about like a uh, black uh black celebrity and black wealth and how like we shouldn't look at these people as heroes because like 
but naturally, if you're if you're getting that rich, if you're like you know like your Jay Z, your Diddy, your Beyonce, your Oprah, your Kanye, whoever you are, like if you're a billionaire, like you didn't become a billionaire by not exploiting exploiting the working class. That's just how that works. You accumulate like you accumulate that kind of wealth by exploiting the working class. That's yeah. just how that goes. So even if like you know you are a low end billionaire, like you exploited the working class in order to make that kind of money and we shouldn't look at them like idols or like our saviors because they don't care about us like they're billionaires they're billionaires and then like people will have an issue with no name for saying something like that because as black people we're like so you know we take what we can get we're like we're supposed to cheer whenever whenever someone gets gets their foot in the door or someone achieves something that like you know wasn't seen as possible and like I understand that mentality but then it's also this idea that like you know these people aren't going to sit there and save us. They don't really care. And like, they have like, you know, like what, even with their like, you know, quote unquote limited amount of resources, because they are still billionaires. Like they're not going to sit there and change anything for us. And people ran no name off of Twitter for saying that. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like, you know, like, you know, once they find something to disagree with you on, like it's, 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 it's open season. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, that, that's kind of my point. It's like, if I'm, I'm supposed to be held to the standard of, of that I don't think that anyone deserves to die for anything that they do, which is true for anything. Any, I don't think people deserve to be murdered, honestly, for anything by the state or otherwise. I don't think that there's anything that anyone can do that's grounds for you to end their life. And I believe that 100%. Yeah. But I don't live in the utopia world where our society treats everything that way. And people get killed, so that's why I will say, like... Okay, fine. Cops got killed. Whatever. It's a drop in the fucking bucket compared to what the cops do. And that's it. So that like you can argue with me whatever, but I don't live in we don't live in the world that I wish that we did. And if once we do, then I'll change my fucking tune. But it's going to take a long time for us to get there. So yeah, like the idea that they love people the 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 other side, they love to make that argument and point out your hypocrisy. And again, it comes back to the whole fucking the name of the episode. It's edge lordum. It's trolldom. It's all about owning you it's all about it's, 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 it's like it's like deliberate like it's like deliberately missing the point mm-hmm. like, like that like that's like that's what they're rooted in they're rooted in deliberately missing the point that's it when it comes down to it it's just about yeah it's just about basically getting you flustered getting you upset and then if you're upset and you're you know you've been gotten to then you lost and then meanwhile while we're all busy arguing about that bullshit people like Breonna Taylor still get killed in cold blood sitting in their home sleeping in their bed for no fucking reason and nothing gets changed because we're all busy online or like in the pseudo online space that has become reality it's like just like somehow reality in real life has turned into a knockoff of social media at this point we're arguing about like who's owned and who's getting triggered so yeah that's fun this is fun (laughs) All right. Um, I got everything off. I got everything off of my chest. So if you want to move on to, I guess, uh, slightly uh, less depressing topics like like pro wrestling. <laughs> sure. Let's. Uh, you want to start out with Beyond? Uh yeah. Let's yeah. We we, we can we can hit that for we can hit that for a little bit. Yeah. So uh, Beyond Wrestling held um, Shangri La My Histral, which is annoying. I don't know where you come down on this, but I am 100% on the La Casita camp. And you can do the same oh, yeah, oh, yeah, joke. Oh, yeah, of course. You can do the same joke with La Casita, but, uh, you know, 
or the same uh, pun, also, I guess. Also, like, it just, it just rolls off the tongue better. Like, Shangri-La La Casita just, like, sounds way better, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> it really does. I didn't even I didn't even say it out loud in my head. I was just thinking about the, like, La Magistral versus La Casita. Um, it, it, it sounds way better. Yeah, it would sound better. Um, so, yeah. So, that's the start. And this was, because Drew mentioned it because it hadn't crossed my mind, but this was, I guess, the fill-in or the... The replacement for this year's American Rana, because American Rana just can't really happen. And I think it's honestly, it's really smart of Beyond. And I didn't hear anyone talking about it, and I didn't think about it until Drew mentioned it on commentary. But this is exactly what people were begging for from WWE when it came to WrestleMania. Because I heard uh. so much talking points of like, you can't have WrestleMania in COVID. You just can't. And you're diluting the brand by calling what they did over those two nights calling that WrestleMania because that was not WrestleMania and beyond did the smart move that everyone was asking for. And it's like, whatever it gets overlooked. And I will admit that the show is not necessarily great, but like the first half is solid. And then it kind of falls off a cliff. Basically is the only reason why the show, I think like feels not great coming out of it. Um, but they didn't dilute the, you know, it's American Rana. It's, like, important to people like me and you. But, like, you know, most people it's not. In the big picture, it's not a big deal. But they didn't dilute the American Rana brand by having an, a COVID American Rana with no fans. You know what I mean? So, like, right. they did the exact thing that everyone was saying WWE should do. And it's, like, I haven't heard anyone mention it or talk about it. But it is. It's, like, this was the smart move. And, and Beyond did it. Again, Drew, like, I... There has been things that Drew has done, Drew Cordero, Denver, Colorado, has done here and there that I find annoying, maybe, like the work shoot stuff with Janela. But for the most part, honestly, Drew has proven to be one of the smartest bookers in wrestling. And it's crazy to think that, like, from his background, he comes from just being like a backyarder. Like, he's a backyard wrestler who started a backyard promotion and has slowly developed and turned it into this. And when it comes to making decisions and building a brand and all of the stuff that he's done, like, he's been a really smart booker and made the right decisions in a lot of fucking ways. You can argue, like, you know, Crusade for Change was bullshit and so fucking annoying for years and years, and the shows historically have had, like, bloat and there's been issues. But in the big picture, grand scheme of things, like, I don't know. It, is Drew Cordero, rest, like, booker of the decade? Like, you know what I mean? For the 2010s, is Drew Cordero, like, the best booker going into the 2020? Like, I don't know. Like, there's, there is, might be an argument for that. Just, like, if you think about promoter, like, combination of promoter and booker. Not just, like, the matches, but also building a brand. Building, like, continuing to grow. Like, who compares to being as good at the game when it comes to putting together shows, promoting, booking, than Drew Cordero? Really? constantly work, working at diversity too like the talent pool constantly like dwindling and like top guys being taken from them and just being like okay cool we'll make a new guy and like constantly being able to do that constantly I think that like well, I was gonna say doing that say? but also keeping continuity you yeah. know what I mean like he's able to still have people who have been on shows for as long as I've been watching Beyond are still on shows to this day while also cycling and recycling and moving people around like yeah that, that's i'm sorry for interrupting continue um yeah, but yeah I, th I think i think that's more the thing with them is that like they're they're drew is so good at just refilling the talent like just refilling beyond as if like nothing happened like 
no matter who it is, you know, like, you know, losing, losing Dijak, like, you know, an awesome wrestler, but like, you know, you're all right, well, that's fine. And you can, you can still like plug, you can still plug that hole in no matter like losing, losing star, losing Janela, losing, like you, um, lo- losing Beth. Losing, uh, you know, stuff. You know, you stop booking. You stop booking JT Dunn as much. Like guys that were like, you know, linchpins in beyond. Like you know, even like you know, you stop booking Gresham as much. You lose Tracy. Uh, John Silver. You lose, like you, you, know, you lose John Silver. Like and like they keep finding ways to like you know, still make you want to watch them. And I think a lot of indies do fail at that. That once like you know like those guys that first like you know group of guys that you like fall in love with and they put the promotion on the map like leave. A lot of promotions have a hard time feeling like filling that in. Like Beyond does that seamlessly. Like it's one of those things that like New Japan gets a lot of praise for. We're like, you look at everything that New Japan has gone through in in the decade, from you know making Okada and like trying to make Naito and Naito doesn't work out at first, but like you know Naito eventually comes around. You know making the AJ Styles thing work. Um, Nakamura and Tanahashi already coming into the de- coming into the decade as stars. Uh, you have Kota Ibushi in, like, you know, the two-way contract with DDT and then him eventually becoming uh, full-time. Shibata always had been, like, you know, in the horizon, you know, always had kind of been there. What Prince Devitt could have been if he didn't leave or Kenny Omega, like, how, like, the heights he reached. Like, they always found a way to just fill the talent pool. And even now, like, you know, with Jay White being there, like, they always found a way to fill it in and make it not noticeable when guys left. And, like... You know, obviously Beyond is doing it on, doing it on a much smaller scale because they're not doing it in front of, like, you know, tens of thousands of people if, like, you know, with every major event. But, like, more than any, like, U.S. indie company I can really give credit for, like, like I think Beyond does it better than anybody in terms of just, like, they're going to find a way no matter what. When PWG lost guys, like, you noticed it. They've always been the cream of the crop when it came to, like, you know, the, you know, the, premier, uh, the, the premier unsigned talent always goes to PWG. Like, I understand that. That was always a thing. But when they lost certain guys, you still felt that. Beyond, I honestly feel like you can, you know, and maybe and, we'll, and this will really test them. Like, you know, the COVID, the COVID era and, you know, whenever we find a way out of this and how the roster looks and the kind of things they're able to put on, like, well, they'll, it'll really test them. But for as long as they've been going, they are way better at this than any promotion in the U.S. going. Yeah, and I think that they've they've withstood the test of time. They've like comparatively, there's not a lot of indie promotions who've had this long of a run in the U.S. of being like I think critically and commercially successful. I guess would be the way to describe it. Like there's been, I don't think that there's been the heights of like the highest PWG or Evolve in Beyond. Really, there's been some times where they've had a lot of good matches, but they've also had cards where, like, even on shows that have a lot of really good matches, they have like matches that are okay or fine and whatever. But like the mix of having like, I think being able to draw mainstream large audiences, also being able to like keep hardcore nerd fan base intrigued in watching some stuff, like, and never. I don't know, they just have never hit, like, that jump-the-shark point still to this point where, like, people look at them and, and are, like, they become a joke. Like, Beyond is not really, like, a, a, a promotion that people, like, will just write off, even to this day. And they've had a really good run of being able to, like, be relevant commercially and, like I said, like, uh, artistically, like, 
successful in both ways. So it's 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 pretty impressive because even this show, that whatever like the a lot of the 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 talent is gone or it's run with no fans it's like i love it i love drew is like again it's another like really smart promotional tactic because as he was promoting this stuff he talked about it he's like openly saying like beyond started we run shows with no fans that was our thing we, yeah. we built our brand around not having fans and it really came directly out of that backyard ethos the backyard wrestling thing where pretty much the only people watching the shows were people who were also going to wrestle on the show or people who were like tangentially involved in the backyard scene and then it turned into like professional wrestlers, you know, in quotation marks, doing that in a ring. And like, they're just going back to that. And it was like the way that it was promoted, the way that they took a negative and kind of turned it into a positive. I think it worked really well. Um, so yeah, like like I said, this this show, uh, we can get into the show itself a little bit after talking about the big picture stuff, um, was like pretty solid for the most part, but. It did, I think it hit like a, a weird lull maybe in the middle that and had some wrestlers that like weren't quite, I don't know, aren't quite there. But, you know, whatever, you open up with uh, J. Freddy versus VSK. Oh, 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 oh for, for, for the record, I, for the record, I did I did try to pick a show, so I didn't watch, uh, I guess, what, what, what did I not get around to? I didn't get around to, uh, I'm, I know you're going to be disrupted dis- 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 about this. I didn't get to the Robo the Punjabi Lion match, Tim. God damn it. That was easily the worst match on the show, honestly. So that's okay. Um, and I didn't, and I didn't get to, uh, the Bird and the Bee versus uh, Nuvo Aesthetic. Um, that was easily the only match that gave the worst match on the show a run for its money for being the worst match on the show. So, um, yeah, that that's fine. That you you skipped the two matches that I would say easily skip. So for you, you probably don't even get where I'm coming from saying that like the show was kind of bad. <laughs> like, uh, oh, yeah, well, yeah, everything else was pretty good. Was pretty good. Yeah. yeah, those two matches back-to-back really kind of brought down the show. And it wasn't even just the matches themselves. It's like, whatever, we'll get into it in the review. Let me, uh, let's get started. Jay Freddy versus VSK. This is the only, this would probably be like in my conversation as the third worst match on the show, really. And it was surprising and probably partly the reason why I look at it that way is because I had high expectations because... Jay Freddy has been very good in the past. Right. Um, and VSK is a guy who I think most people would not necessarily be super high on, but I've always thought that he had something there. Um, I, I, I liked the, the Massage Envy tag team. I thought it was fun, if not goofy. And I thought that if he wanted to turn it seriously, he could. This run where he has kind of ran more as a singles um, heel kind of thing has not really worked. And this match itself, I just felt, was a step off throughout the entire thing. And Jay Freddy just wasn't at the level that he has been at the past. And that's probably really unfair to say. Because the reason why Jay Freddy, historically, has been so fucking good in Beyond for what he does is because, like, Beyond was, like, a place that he worked on his off time when he wasn't in doing tours of Japan, primarily. And so he's, like, not at that shape and in that like you know really hardcore hitting the road working like at the peak of his level constantly it's been like a pretty it's probably been a very hard layoff for a guy like jay freddy who's he's not a big deal he's not a big name people don't know who he is but he's one of these guys who would get like tours of japan re- semi-regularly and would constantly oh, get to uh, oh go ahead for the for, yeah for, for the for the record uh on cage on cage match, it says that uh, Jay Freddy's last match was back in March. Yeah, so the guy just is not. He was always in great shape and always looking really good because he was constantly, you know, wrestling 
and constantly wrestling at high levels, going back and forth. I mean, wrestle, he primarily wrestled like in Wrestle One, and, and Wrestle One doesn't exist anymore. So it's like the guy is just not. Yeah. He's not gonna have the same level of like everything. So like, yeah, he was a bit off here, and, and VSK. Like I said, I, it was a guy that I thought had potential always, but just didn't. It hasn't panned out, and it really hasn't panned out in this heel character that he's been doing. But uh, what did you think of the match? I'm pretty, much, I'm pretty much in the same boat as you. Like, um, I'll say that I didn't really like the massage MV tag team. So, like, VSK has never been someone that like I saw very much potential in. But I've, I've liked Jay Freddy every time that I've seen Jay Freddy in the last few years. So, like, you know, I guess from that standpoint, I can understand being disappointed. But you know. I feel like a lot of wrestlers, like, they like, they really do deserve to be graded, graded on a curve. Like, for the fact, like, hey, man, for a lot of these guys, they haven't wrestled in, like, five or six months. Like, like that, like that, like, that's the reality for a lot, for a lot of these guys. So, I think, I think that's something I want to keep paying attention to, like, as, like, uh, promotions try to run more and more and see guys get back into, like, you know, wrestling shape. Because, shit, man, like, um, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you amateur wrestled in school, but, like, like just like amateur wrestling is like the most tiring fucking yeah. thing that like you could possibly do, and like you know obviously like amateur and professional aren't the same thing, but like just like running the ropes, exhausting like you know, you know energy and you know and the constant movement. Like I can just imagine how, how tired how tired like a Jay Freddy might be, despite all the working out and cardio he might do on his own. Like how tired you are after not wrestling in six months. Yeah, I mean ring shape, mat shape grappling shape if you do anything in that regard be it amateur wrestling bjj or professional wrestling it's like a different kind of shape like yeah. you can do cardio till the cows come home and you can you know hit the weight room as hard as you can like it's different stuff just stuff stretches differently <laughs> like different you're using different muscles that you don't normally engage in most workouts you know what i mean like that's why some of that CrossFit stuff is good if you're, like, safe about it and you're not, like, doing weird, like, high-impact stuff, um, which, unfortunately, is, like, a lot of it is that way, and that's where you get, like, weird tears and stuff like that, but it's, like, the mm. closest thing you can come to is, like, kind of mimicking the same thing, because, yeah, like, when you're in there and you're, like, getting physical with another person and you're and you're performing some of these motions that are just really unnatural... Like, you cannot duplicate that on a fucking, on a elliptical machine or on a bench press. You're just not going to get the same range of motion. So, it's hard to be in shape for that. Um, next match, tag team match. I enjoyed this quite a bit. Um, I thought that the finish was a little wonky and weird, but it was okay. Um, but, and like, the match itself never really got into like a, like a, a solid rhythm, but it was like, I don't know. I should just say the match. I, I was thinking about this earlier when it comes to like storytelling, talking and all this stuff. Like I always really like to do this weird thing where I, I, I like to not say the nouns of a statement until the very end because I like enjoy this idea of, um, of like doing like a surprise, but there's no fucking point. I don't think people appreciate that really. Anyways, this is tag team match. Uh, Rex Lawless, Mike Verna versus two infinity and beyond Cheech and Colin Delaney. Um, veterans versus younger Mike, Verna, Mike Verna is like moderately young. Go ahead. Oh yeah, oh, Mike Verna's twenty nine. I was gonna say yeah. like, uh, how old is Rex Lawless? Rex Lawless has been wrestling for a while. Is my point. They're not like, they're not like greenhorns. You know what I mean? But they feel compared to the other guys, are like they feel like, uh, like they're 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 the younger guys against the vets here. But it's not really. 
either way, uh, like I said, a, a match that had like cool stuff, but didn't feel like it had a lot of like connective tissue <laughs> transitions and things. Didn't feel like it had a solid story um, that played off of what I think you could have done. It felt like there was the pieces were there and they almost were telling the story where it's the veterans against the power guys. And there was a few moments where it was where it showed off, but then there was also times where like the power guys outsmarted the veterans, which I thought didn't make sense. Um, mm. You know, so it was like, eh, like I get you're kind of telling the story, but you didn't completely commit to it, which is okay. The match was also quick; it's under ten minutes. Um, I liked seeing Cheech do the uh, Superman spear in the corner, a la Scott Lost. I thought that that was very cool. <laughs> Um, and yeah, like I said, the finish I thought was weird. Um, but, uh, there was some, there was some dope power spots from Verna and Lawless throughout, um, which I think that like, it's interesting that these guys, Verna and Lawless, especially Mike Verna, cause he's got a great look and can do some insane power stuff to where I don't understand why he doesn't really ever seem to get booked anywhere else. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, solid match, but just didn't, uh, didn't really ever hit any like crazy level of being like fantastic. Um. Again, again, around the same ballpark as you, and I think that it's like, you know, maybe it's just you know Jay, Freddie, and VSK just weren't like weren't like good together, or weren't were just weren't like great together. But like, I feel like at least to me, you could like notice when like some people were like, you know, they had like when they had like a little bit more like matches under under the belt, like since the since COVID. Like, I'm pretty sure Colin, I'm pretty sure uh, to Affinity and Beyond has had like three matches, and that was like their third match. Uh, since people sort of tried to try to start running again, I'm pretty sure Mike Verna has re- has wrestled uh since ha- has wrestled since then. Like, I feel like you could tell the guys that were like, you know, that, that were a little bit more ready as as the show went on. I thought. Yeah, definitely, definitely. People who have uh, who've actually <laughs> done anything in the past like six months. Um, Rich Holiday versus Bullet Joe. Um, Bullet I think. Joe. I think opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to the like kind of potential game that people like to play with uh with professional wrestling i think that people look at rich holiday as a um like a future star kind of guy i think people probably look at him especially because he was in uh the stable with him in uh mlw with uh mjf as like a similar to mjf kind of guy with maybe not the same level of mic skills but that like he's got a bunch of potential and could be like a, a major league star yeah, like great value MJF. Yeah, yeah, he's got like a he's got like a good look. He's solid enough in ring, and if you put something together, you could like he could be on TV kind of guy. Um, Bullet Joe is this you know underdog personality, charisma kind of guy who's like um, small but like like works really fucking hard. But he's not love, love Bullet Joe. People love him, and he's got a lot of charisma. But uh, I think that for a guy like that to get over or to make it in a bigger way, you know, and this is talking about mainstream wrestling, right? They've got to be, like, excellent, excellent, excellent wrestler. And he's not he's not quite there yet, but you can see it. But it's, like, honestly, and this is, like, I'm not even saying anywhere close, but it's, like, it feels like a Daniel Bryan thing, right? Where, like, he's got the personality and he's got the charisma. I think that it will get overlooked historically. But to be able to make it in a big way he'd have to be at that level of how fucking insanely talented like someone like daniel bryan is right to ever like make it past Mm. that but that doesn't stop him from being like a cult favorite and a guy that people like you just said will continue to love for a long time um the match itself solid big man bully against underdog i actually thought really like 
both of these guys in a weird way were like punching above their weight when it came to like the quality of this work and like yeah they, mm. they, they, they felt pretty um I guess I don't know what was that go ahead oh yeah I was gonna, I was gonna say like you know like Bullet Joe like as he like gets you know you know more experience under his belt like Bullet Joe's gonna be like one of the more fun wrestlers to watch like yeah in this scene like there's a lot of things that like I would love to see him do like, kind of like how like Darby eventually grew on us and we like love to see Darby versus like those big fucking monsters like Bullet Joe I feel like is gonna be like that guy at some point that we just like we just want to see him like be scrappy and fight back against all these like giants that might that might that they might come across in the wrestling world definitely definitely and yeah i guess that kind of plays into my point of what i was saying so i think maybe you thought it was a counterpoint but it was more my point is that both these guys were clicking at a level that uh isn't quite their norm yet but it was like at the level of like being like okay these guys actually might they might put it together and not even like rel- they like not like a while it might be relatively soon the coming out of coronavirus like both of these guys could be people to watch rich holiday i think He's got a, I like his charisma and I could see other people thinking he's kind of bland. Um, but I think that he's got something there being a dickhead. The air the AirPods thing, like I <laughs> I like the idea of the gimmick, but it doesn't work and he needs to just drop it, honestly. But I think that if he moves on from that and trying to have that be his gimmick cuz it's just a little too much. It's just kind of it's kind of dumb. Um, but I do think that, like, as an oversized bully heel, he w- worked really well here. And Bullet Joe, obviously, is phenomenal as an underdog seller. And the stuff that, that when he was hitting stuff, it was crisp. It was cool. He just needs to. And this is, like, this is like the opposite of kind of the thing, the take that I would normally have with most people where I say, like, get the fundamentals down and be very good at doing that kind of stuff. Like, I think Bullet Joe needs to come up with some, like, wild shit that people have never seen before and start having some stuff that looks cool comparing him to Darby is a good point because Darby is was the guy who like kind of got over doing stuff that was like really stood out and I think that Bullet Joe needs to invest in doing some like figuring out some crazy shit I'm not saying take wild stunt bumps but just do some interesting different things so that you stand out in that way because otherwise it's going to be tough for him but uh yeah that's a solid match and then this is where I'm saying like the first three matches in a row really good stuff um do you have any other thoughts on that match um, yeah, I was gonna say, like, I agree with you. I, I think I like Richard Holiday a lot. His his charisma maybe not be as outward as MJF's, but like, I guess you can say like I, I kind of like the like the like the subtlety to it. Like, you can't exactly put your finger on why he's such a dick, but like you definitely don't like him either. Like it's like you know MJF is like a lot like like the loud mouth like you really fucking despise him because he thinks he's better, better, than, better than everybody. But like, there's just something about Richard Holiday you just don't like him. <laughs> yeah, it definitely rubs you the wrong way. Um. Yeah, follow that up with, uh, and this is what I was talking about, the continuity and beyond where, like, Milk Chocolate. I feel like we've been seeing Milk Chocolate and Beyond since as long as I've been watching Beyond, basically. Um, You know what I mean? Like, that's that continuity where it feels like they never, they don't necessarily ever give up on, on someone if they're, like, solid enough. And as a tag team, I've always thought that Milk Chocolate was pretty good. There was a time where I thought that Brandon Watts had, like, breakout potential but then when he did kind of yeah, go on that I, single I, 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 I think every, i think everyone did and just like yeah didn't click it did not click but we'll see i mean he's still relatively young and i still think that there's a chance that something could happen there but as a tag yeah, team he's, yeah, he's, 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 still, he's still 25 which yeah. is like good lord like yeah. right <laughs> you, know, you, know, you would think that he's like 
like like thirty two or something. The way like how how long he's been around. Yeah, how long I've been watching him wrestle, you'd think he'd be older. But yeah, so there's still a chance that he could come out of it. And then uh, got Milk Chocolate going up against the Rep, who's a team that I've seen off and on here and there, primarily like in CZW and stuff. Uh, really remember them having like a a series of decent matches with Private Party, who are now you know like a big deal in uh, AEW, right? Um, so it's like, oh okay, yeah, like. This is a, a tag team that I haven't really seen in Beyond before. I don't even know if they've worked in Beyond before. Um, oh, actually, they have. Um, but it was at Please Come Back, the last Please Come Back show. So this was them coming back. Um, and I really liked this for, like, Power Team. I thought that the rep, this was the best that I've seen them look. Really. And I like I said, I haven't watched a ton of them, but I've seen them here and there. But I think that they've really stepped it up, and they, like, they had some great double teams. They showed off their power spots really awesomely. They just they had a good presence to them. They came across like a formidable force that was like worth paying attention to. Um, Milk Chocolate playing heels was a little weird. It really threw me off. Like somewhere yeah. midway through the match, yeah, like it was just kind of like I didn't get it why they were the heels, but um, but the rep looked good. Milk chocolate was fine, but it was like I said, weird for them being heels. But yeah, what did you, what did you think, Quentin? This is fun. I'll, I'll probably say. Um, so I thought that uh, Holiday and Bullet Joe was probably like my second favorite, ma- second favorite match on the show. Uh, I guess it, I guess it'd be the third. Um, but I don't think the, the, the rep has always been fun to me. Like I, I'm not. Like, I'll never. Like you know, try to like you know label myself as like the biggest CZW watcher, or CZW fan, but like. The rep, like if I was turning, if I was tuning into anything CZW related, like they were never a skip for me. They were never an act that I would skip or have an issue with. I like them whenever I get to see them. And then Brandon Watts has always been a super fun wrestler for me to watch. He's like he, he can be really smooth and can do like a lot of like really like dazzling, dazzling, dazzling stuff. And I, I like this. I wouldn't mind seeing this. Like you know, if you're gonna be like you know strapped for like talent, like I wouldn't mind this being like a series you know running 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 them having them run this back a couple times yeah definitely definitely that's a good point like continuing on with this as like a kind of best out of seven series or something could be a lot of fun i think as these teams could develop with each other because yeah like i was thrown off because the the basic style of the match felt like the reps should be the heels the power big you know power baby face our heel tag team against the baby faces who have like more dynamic and high flying uh, stuff. But I think as if they like continue to interact with each other and develop kind of a like repartee between each other. Um, I think that you could tell some interesting stories with that dynamic because it was like solid and, and they, and they gelled really well. Again, like I said, this is the best that I've seen the rep look um, for me personally, and part of that had to do with like that a lot of their moves and the stuff that they were doing looked super smooth, and so I think that part of that goes into like having good charisma with both members of Milk Chocolate as well. Their double teams and everything that they were doing looked like uh, on point. So yeah, follow this up again. Like I said, match. Yeah, so, 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 tell me, tell me about Robo the Punjabi Lion. <sighs> Not good. Not good. Rob, uh, Robo the Punjabi Lion is is fine, I guess. People. I don't know. I don't get it. I, I think people like him. I don't. I don't even know if people really like him. Um, Max Caster is a guy who I've like kind of paid attention to for a while, just because of like getting trained at at Cap and doing all of the stuff that he did online, social media, and he just feels like a guy who has some kind of charisma and gimmick and stuff. And 
he comes out here and he does this rap that's fucking dog shit. It's like, <laughs> it feels like he's trying to do like the John Cena rap thing, but it's like just so bad. It's it's you're doing it acapella too. Yeah, acapella. None of it. Like half of it doesn't like completely rhyme, and he calls it out saying like it rhymes, and it's like it it really doesn't like, or at least your delivery didn't work, which is like whatever. Um, maybe he's supposed to be a heel, but he doesn't really pull it off. Um, then that said, like the match itself was like a little bit shaky at times, a little bit kind of, I won't say like completely sloppy, but just wasn't like as smooth as it could have been. Um, I think Robo the Punjabi lion did not do a lot, which probably speaks to like how limited he is. Um, and Max Caster to me is just not he's trying to play kind of a heel domineering cocky heel but it just doesn't ring true for me and doesn't really work um he's got like a certain kind of chicken shit heel charisma that I think is fine for him but what he's trying to do here doesn't work um and like with the gear and kind of the the style he's doing I feel like he is kind of trying to channel like early chicken shit or not even yeah like kind of like early cocky heel Shawn Michaels feels like what he's kind of trying to do and it's just it's not his lane I don't think um maybe maybe it could be I don't know um but yeah for me this was uh this was when the show started to like kind of hit a lull where I'm just like not even just people who have been like laid off and haven't wrestled for a while but people who are just like not ready (laughs) to be on a show like this they're just not at this level yet even if even if they are uh you know like over i guess i don't even know if they're if these guys are over but it feels like maybe they are either way um follow that up bird and the bees bird and bee versus uh blank and still life with apricots and pears um i feel bad for like blank and still life because they're both pretty good like blank is um obviously what is it uh i'm trying to think Logan East in the room, but I was trying to think of a uh, hype race Jackson, um, hype Rockwell's tag team partner. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, from yeah. NRG. He's been around for a while and is pretty good, honestly. And uh, I've never, I've never, never liked, liked him. him. Eh, all right. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, like, I, 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 he's he's done different things. Like, he's a guy that can do a lot of different stuff. But like, I just, I just never actually liked him. Like I say, but like, he's definitely a guy that's like. You know, in this point where, like, you know, like, the talent pool, like, you know, you feel like it has to refill and, like, you know, things are going on and some people might not, might not feel like coming back yet. Like, he's a guy that, like, is serviceable. I'll give him that. He's definitely a utility worker. I thought that some of the Logan Easton LaRue stuff in CWF was, like, almost transcendental level heel work. Um, at times, I thought that he almost was, like, hitting that next level. Um he never quite completely got there, but he was getting there. Uh, Blank is did not. You feel like, did you feel? Did you did you feel the way about his about like his Nova Pro stuff too, or no? No, the Nova Pro stuff was fine, but I was never able to really super get into Nova Pro stuff outside of the Eric Royal stuff, which I know that like a lot of his feud was with Eric Royal, and that was like primarily what I enjoyed. Um, yeah, but but like he wasn't he but he wasn't the one that made it good. Yeah, like primarily the only Nova Pro stuff that I thought was ever really good was Eric Royal, and then otherwise a lot of the stuff on there, not even that it was bad, but that it came across, I hate to say, it, but like kind of low rent, <laughs> like and then like just I don't know, like 
felt like a lot of having like cheesy money marks involved in decision making and and stuff that just felt like yeah like I don't know how to put it, but not professional and not like coming across like you're actually thinking about it as a business, which is, I understand, like totally wrestling is fun or whatever. But for me, when I, when I watch it, I want it to feel like it's being presented, like it's professional and it's a business and not like a bunch of people just like fucking around. And a lot mm. of Nova pro stuff felt like it was just, yeah, like just that, like, well, we're just having fun. Um, and Eric Royal was really the only thing that I felt like from beginning to end was presented as like serious and, you know, um, Logan, the Logan stuff was fine, but then the fans started getting into it, and there was like the um, the section, like the fan section that was for them, with the, the the gated community section of the of the the crowd, and that's the where it starts yeah. to really jump the shark. Where I'm just like, I don't know, I don't, I know that there's heel fans, and that's been a thing, and that's like even like probably more common in Lucha Libre too. But to me, when you, like, start, like, having, like, oh, the heel fans have their own section, that's where you're, like, really jumping the shark when it comes to, like, treating this like it's a professional, you know, business. And, like, maybe it works. Maybe it, like, you make money off of the fucking Money Mark fans who are, like, I want to get the special seats where I can sit in the gated community or whatever. I don't know. Um, So maybe it is, like, actually the smartest, carniest thing to do. But for me, watching it at home, it just makes you feel low rent. Um so yeah but but he's a good utility worker definitely and i think that he's had peaks that come across like he could have the charisma and hit that next level at some point blank i feel like this blank character um really misses a lot of the charm for me that i like but the opposite is his tag team partner here in still lives with apricot and pears who like i didn't even know what their thing was when I first saw them, I just saw this person who's wearing like white gear with paint splatters all over it and the way that they wrestled and the charisma. And I was just like, this person has like it. (laughs) I just, I loved them. And I just think that still life is like, so, I don't know, enrapturing, I guess would be the way I would describe it. Where like everything that they do, I feel like you have to pay attention to and they just demand your attention so for me would you would you say that like still life is what people people pretended car noir was yes definitely just like that natural charisma and it's funny because still life is so muted comparatively like still life does so little (laughs) but just for some reason just demands attention and i love it like their entire vibe is just like and like they're a solid worker like still life is not like a bad wrestler for being relatively like very young and like yeah yeah, yeah. yeah still like, still very new still very young yeah um so yeah it's just like someone who who really demands attention and i hate to say this because i have been a fan of solo darling in the past i thought that she was like you know one of the mvps of the uncharted territory kind of run uh-huh. I thought for a while, for a, for a little bit there, looked, looked like she was like getting there, like kind of like breaking through and like really kind of like putting it together because she always had a good look. I always yeah. liked Solo, and she was always always had a big personality, and it felt like the in ring was getting there. And like, yeah, I don't. It, it sucks to hear that, but it sounds like she might be like you know regressing. Well, her and and Willow Nightingale just this is this was the epitome of the people who just felt like that they shouldn't even be on a show, like the the sloppiness. The execution, blowing spots, missing spots, 
just everything looking not like a struggle in a good way, but as a struggle, like you just can't execute stuff was like up and down the entire match. Just they, both of them were just out of, maybe it's just they're out of practice, but it, on top of it just looking bad, it really hurt because they wanted to tell the story of the bird and the bee being the, the powerful baby faces and they just couldn't execute stuff. Especially Willow Nightingale, I'll say, was probably the worst of the two. But they repeatedly were going to yeah, spots where she was trying to be the power, be the base, be the kind of, you know, the, the one who, who does these big moves, these big spots. And, like, even trying to do stuff where it's, like, you know, big big person, um, like, uh, athleticism spots. And she just was not there. Repeatedly, like, over and over again, blowing stuff and not being up for it. And... Who knows? Maybe it is because of a sizable layoff. Having not wrestled for a long time, we talked about getting in that shape. It's really difficult being ready to perform at that level after having not wrestled for so long can definitely can definitely be an issue. But it's uh, I will say for, for, for Willow though, like she's wrestled like she like, she she what well, she's wrestled uh uh Peggy Sand she she wrestled on Beyond twice yeah. Uh, since since then and on uh LVAC so like like so like four 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 or five matches but like she at least like she's worked yeah she's not coming in completely cold having not wrestled for months but yeah she just she was not there so yeah that it just really it drug the match down the match was fine otherwise and I think that uh, that blank and and still life both um, they served their role well the only issue I think with them is that like in this setting you don't get to um you don't get into the entire dynamic between the two, which I think it it can be part of what like could make something like this because Blank is is very clearly the driving heel force, and Still Life is like kind of tweener, leading towards Babyface, who's like kind of being held captive, and you don't really get any of that nuance in this match because you know on top of just like it being hard for them to hold the match together you also get like uh just like it gets completely overlooked because you're in a company where they haven't really wrestled and they haven't really built up the background between the two um so yeah this was uh this was tough so you have two matches in a row this one's like longer um one of the longer matches on the entire show and it's just like it it feels like it's just this shouldn't be happening in front of fans. Like it's to the level of being like, this is like a, a training student match that shouldn't, you know, should be in private. So that's like kind of a bummer. Um, so yeah, that said, follow that up main event time. I'll let you start out the talk here. Chris Dickinson versus Matt Mikowski. Um, he's a Bellator, former Bellator fighter. Uh, Quentin, what did you think of this match? Um, you talk about like, Chris Dickinson being like the ultimate like fucking like douchebag guy at like the at the BJ at the BJJ uh at the BJJ class and like he got his perfect dance partner here with with Mikowski I thought uh Mikowski a guy that like I like in like the bit in the bit in the best that I see him in and like someone that I'm really curious to see like you know what he get like what he gets to do like outside outside of Chikara because. He like he like and he, and he and he's been on the and he's been on beyond like he's had good stuff with uh oh shit with O'Shea and Gary J, but now with like him like fully being gone, 
from the, from that from that stuff and looking like you know that just won't like really won't be a thing. Um, I think that someone like Dickinson was like a perfect like, uh, I guess like step up in competition, but also like a real like arrival kind of thing for him. That he is gonna be here. He's here to get taken seriously. He's um, I I, I like him, man. I really do like him, and for like such a like young, oh, we're well, not young, but like inexperienced guy. Like you know his rookie year being you know, this, you know, here that's been, like, that's been going on and everything. Like, I thought he fit in just fine with Dickinson, and Dickinson, you know, just through sheer perseverance and just sticking around has become, you know, one of the better veteran hands on the scene. And the thing that these two just going in there and just beating the shit out of each other, I really liked it. Yeah, I mean, in the context of just a badass ass-kicking fight, this was like phenomenal. Um, Mikowski feels like feels like he's got that potential. Um, you know, he's not quite in that riddle thing. I think where it's like, what, what 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 he will be. Like who knows? But like, I at least feel like Mike uh, Matt Mikowski like belongs. Yes. Like he doesn't seem like he doesn't seem super out of place. Yeah. No. And 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 I think he's he's got it. He just needs to, you know, put it together. Not even just like, um, the basics because the basics he feels like he's there and he's got a good solid foundation. That's why like, I even mentioned Riddle because it's like a similar thing where Riddle Riddle had that Wrestle Factory, um, or was he Monster Factory and Mikowski? Monster, Monster yeah, Factory. Yeah, he's Monster Factory and Mikowski's Wrestle Factory background, which is like training schools that are like highly regarded as producing like really people who are really solidly like trained when it comes to the fundamentals um and now it's about putting in that flavor and Mikowski I mean the 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 um cross throat burning hammer set up spun into the arm bar you know I saw the gif and I saw people I saw it in the match first and I liked it then I saw the gif and I saw people making fun of it and I'm just like I thought it was cool you know like ripcord whatever it's goofy I think in the context in the context of of where professional wrestling is now and the like how much dumb shit like that happens I get seeing it and instantly being turned off but to me it's like in the context of just that just the move by itself I thought it's fine you know like I thought it was neat. You got Drew popping for it, saying, I've never seen anything like that. Which is like, yeah, that's cool. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think he needs... And, 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 and there's also room for just shit being, like, just, just allowed to be cool sometimes. Like, yeah. I know, like, you know, you know, like, a lot of us, like, you know, as, like, the more we watch something, like, more, the more we like, get involved in the shit, the more Jada we get. But, like, you know, not everything has to have, like, this big, like, nuance and nice build to it. So, sometimes shit can just be, like, cool and yeah i don't know i feel like something, like, something that, 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 like that gets lost a lot sometimes right and i do i yeah I, I think that you can come at it with whatever like angle you want and i mean you can look at anything in wrestling even the most fundamental things and be like that's stupid because xyz but if you watch it and it just kind of like speaks to you and it looks kind of cool in the moment eh, it's fucking cool it's how wrestling works um so yeah like there's that there, I just think he needs to put his own spin on stuff. He needs to start to develop like Matt Mikowski stuff because at the moment he doesn't have anything that feels uniquely his. 
and that's okay too but it's like it's gonna be very tough it's another one of those guys where like to make it work without having unique spots that stand out for him he's gonna just have to be like insanely good and he's not quite there yet um his execution is very good but he's not quite to that level to where he can just be a big deal based on his execution um he needs to have some some gimmicky stuff that feels uniquely his um that he can start to to bring into stuff um that said i mean we talked about it with like the continuity like someone like dickinson he's been he's been on every not he hasn't been on every beyond show but he he was on the first beyond show you know what i mean he's still here and he's still a big deal that's the stuff where i talk about like beyond can develop and they can lose a bunch of people but they always like pay that fan service to people who have been paying attention to the history and the and the the people who continue to to endure uh, you know he's like waxed and waned he's disappeared he's come and gone but right now he feels like he's a major focus and it's believable and he's got the history with the company um yeah i mean this was a good like mixture of bjj rolling contentious like students training in the gym and then also like nasty fight with like uh with chris dickinson just being obviously a complete dick mikowski did a really good job of never coming across like he lost his cool um and he was always like being the consummate professional in there which i thought was really good even going against someone like dickinson who who pushes you know not just like in general but also kind of pushes the limits and can be a little bit uh a little bit of an asshole a little, little, little forceful yeah it can be forceful it can be aggressive can be you know people can say unprofessional if they want whatever but he comes across like he's he's pushing the boundaries at times and uh and Mikowski never lost his cool, so I thought that that worked really well with with something that you can do with that character. With the, because you know being boring and stoic or something like Timothy Thatcher is one thing, but uh, you know actually having that be part of your character, and then when you do break and when you do deliver something and it feels authentic and real, it can be like a big deal, and it can mean something. And that's why I referenced the Timothy Thatcher thing, where it's like so many people overlooked his charisma because oh he's boring and bland and it's like no 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 he's setting a fucking table and then when he does deliver and he does explode that's when it really becomes a big fucking deal it's like it's not about every match he has to go crazy some matches he just has a regular ass match and then sometimes you get under his skin and then that's when you know you really get to appreciate something so again i could see that from mikowski if he builds into something special moving forward we'll see but yeah i mean this being the substitute for american rana this year i don't know it's a, it's a it was fun it had some stuff that like i said wouldn't would definitely have not been on american rana show but it had some stuff that maybe wouldn't have felt out of place on an american rana show so in that regard it's like okay cool like i would love to know what the plan was on paper for american rana this year um just to think like what the show could have been compared to what we ended up getting know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know, I don't know Who what knows? American Rana would have looked like. Like, um, I guess we'll see. If, like, they try to like, you know, uh, you know, like be real seamless about it. Is uh, you know, and things go on, and maybe like, you know, what would have been American Rana, like they'll turn into something else. But like, yeah, I, seeing seeing what this show was, and seeing like, you know, they kind of like worked with what, like worked with what, with what they could do. Like, I don't know what American Rana would have looked like. Yeah, it would have been. Uh would have been interesting but unfortunately we don't get that but one thing that we have been getting Quentin is a a great late summer early fall of tournament action which uh we should do some bouncing around tournaments before we head out I think um 
but before we even do that, I'll just we'll do some uh, some pre-show or not pre-show, some behind-the-scenes production talk here. I was going to talk a little bit about N1 and uh, ROH Pure Tournament. It's not been a lot to it, but we've gone not long, but we've gone longer than I think either of us would have predicted based on this. Um, yeah, and I, and, I, and, I, and I and I and I have no problem like saving like saving that to like record like to talk about like later on in the week. Yeah, so let's uh let's just hit some G one stuff if if that works for you, and then we'll uh, we'll see how we look. Perfect for me. Yes. Perfect, perfect for me. So the last time we recorded, um, G one hadn't started, uh, and now it has. So Quinn, what do you think? All right, so people like went really hard on Okada and like how we looked in the Ibushi match and like granted like I like the Okada Ibushi matches but like I, I I wouldn't even go as far as to say it's like e- e- for either of them it's like you know even close to being like their best work um but people like, like really hard on Okada here and like you know kind of started this like o- like you know Okada might be washed thing and uh you know Joe Lanza from Voices Wrestling like he happened to like like put a tweet out talking about like wonder if there's like there's like an intentional story and like you know like rightfully so like you know considering like you know what you know VOW's history and all that kind of stuff you know there's like a lot of jokes and all that stuff about like yeah Okada being bad must you know must be a plan here but then Okada actually does like a post-match promo like after his match with Yujiro where he kind of like says like yeah I haven't been feeling feeling like like myself I need to like get it together it's like ah. I think Lance might have, might, have, might have actually got that one right for once. Yeah, I mean, he probably did. One thing that got me, because I wasn't following any of that bullshit, like, drama about all this stuff, but the thing that, that stood out to me randomly when watching the Okada Ibushi match was how much Okada kind of does the money clip setup in a way that teases without overtly teasing the Rainmaker just because it's like a similar grabs the arm around from behind that, that, that's 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 what i like about okada's moveset and like when he does add stuff is like or like when i when i think of like when i think of someone like you know adding a new move to new move to the arsenal like like immediately when i thought of like when i want to saw naito do, do this the, the casino for the first time i was like hmm i wonder that, that's probably like a really cool rainmaker counter like yeah as soon as i see certain things so like you talking about this like I'm immediately like I immediately thought of that too it was like I can imagine like a scenario where he does the money clip and then like rolls that out into a rainmaker and it looks like the fucking coolest shit in the world yeah exactly so it's just like watching it it's like it's reminiscent it teases it without like being so overt that you see that's what he's doing or you think that that but it like on some like you know animal level like lizard brain it just like tickles that right spot to where I'm like it lights up you know the those sections of your mind that you remember the rainmaker where it's just like yeah like it it feels like it makes so much sense if you're thinking of it as him playing the gimmick because what he's straight up doing is like he's tickling that part of your brain and teasing you without being overt to where like you can't blame him that he's not doing it because he was just going for the money clip he wasn't trying to go for the rainmaker so it does yeah, he's like what right like what yeah, rainmaker uh, no, no, no what are you talking about <laughs> i was just doing the money clip so yeah so there was that where i was like okay that's like what's going on there like kind of i saw that early on where i was like okay this is clearly like a almost a troll thing where it's like it kind of looks like i'm going for the rainmaker but i'm clear i'm not and i'm doing this other thing so i get that the thing that i think and i i 
I had already thought about it, but it really like hammered at home. I said I wasn't going to talk about the N one, but uh, but hey, what are you gonna do? Was um, go with the taped up shoulders in the N one this year is like one hundred percent doing the the Tanahashi thing, where you like pick a body part and just completely act like it's destroyed, and then get into the tournament, and that makes it so easy for every match to have a natural storyline, and watching it and goes the fucking triple crown champion and he's doing that throughout the end one and Tanahashi is doing it again this year. It does make it clear. Like this is part of the like, you know, fucking shadow, like conspiracy. This is the political hit job, political maneuvering of Okada's entire run is that Tanahashi has claimed that as his thing as the ace of new Japan. So every G one Tanahashi does the easiest natural best way to put drama into your matches for the entire tournament without having to like really work hard to tell a bunch of different stories. You tell the same story throughout the entire tournament, the fucking marks like Dave Meltzer buy into it every time and start talking about how you're dying and you can never move again. And you're going to have to retire soon because of how bad you're injured. And Tanahashi like does that and has claimed it as his thing. And Okada has tried to come up with something new to be his thing for every tournament because now he's done it two in a row and people are like talking about it. Like, yeah, this can't yeah, be his thing. Yeah, Okada just yeah. yeah, Okada just like, oh man, I'm just I'm just out of it. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with me lately. Like you know, like, like, not like some big dramatic thing. Just like yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so Okada has like tried to develop his version of that, but he can't do the overt like tape something up and sell an injured body part because that's Tanahashi's thing and you can't have two people doing the same thing in the tournament. So Okada has tried to develop his thing and it is, that's why I say it's like, it's almost political hit because Tanahashi's taken the good thing and the easy thing and Okada's trying to do this thing that's like really hard and kind of annoying, which is like, psychological version of the same thing. Yeah, like, yeah, like, like, like do like some, some real like meta, yeah. like, wrestle bad on purpose. So like, it looks like Yujiro's on your level. Like, like, <laughs> like he he took the way way more difficult approach. Yes, here. my brain is broken. Is basically Okada's version of like selling an injury going into the big tournament, and it's like it's really hard to get that across. But that's that's his that's Okada's thing now, I guess, because he's done it two times in a row. We'll see if he continues on with with this. Hopefully, hopefully at some point he can just do the easy <laughs> injury thing because that just like tells a much better story. But. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, it's definitely a storyline. I think the argument is basically the point that I'm making here, which is that like, it's definitely a storyline, but it's a bad storyline, <laughs> and he shouldn't stick to this as being his thing because it just it doesn't it doesn't work. Like, it, it, it doesn't it doesn't translate well. Like no. you have to be like a New Japan lunatic like Lens and even point this out. Right. Like, like like the fact that he was even able to point this out was like oh he's, he's being bad on purpose like like no one like no other no other company would like get the like would like even get the like the shadow like the shred like the shadow of a doubt to even get away with something like this but like with new japan it's like oh yeah like that actually kind of makes sense because they just do weird shit like this right and it's again it's like it's trying to work around telling a story and it makes sense because like i don't know when you get older and you do all this stuff you don't want to fucking have to go out there and just kill yourself for 15 nights in a row with these big crazy singles matches so you try to come up with something that's it's not even necessarily always about physicality it's also about like the mental strain remembering everything to be able to tell a story in every match that's like enticing and intriguing and to have to basically try to come up with something new match to match so what you do instead is you just pick out a theme and you stick with that theme and they build up throughout every match 
And like, yeah, injury is, is the easiest one because it's just like, I've got this injury and throughout the entire tournament, people are going to work on it and I'll like do different stuff and I'll overcome it, but it just progressively is bad. And then sometimes it's not as bad, but it's still there. And it's like really easy to just stick with that. Go again, like I was saying in N1, Go has been phenomenal. The shoulders and arm thing with Go in the N1 has been so fucking cool that like this might be i don't know people might find this like a, i'm not trying to do like the hipstery take or whatever but like for me just based on like pure like appreciation for stuff that's like really easy to just turn it on and watch i've liked the n1 more than the g1 this year just because it's like really basic and easy to watch and digest and the g1 has been like a, a little bit more difficult to just like enjoy and part of that is like the main guy and the biggest champion who's being treated like the most important thing is telling like a really basic, easy to follow story from match to match. And then meanwhile, in the G1, you've just got so much weird G1's shit going a, on. G, yeah, G1, yeah, G1's a mess. Yeah. Like, well, um, moving along because like I think like yeah. so like I think we like like let's be there's nothing to talk about there's nothing to talk about in the B block really. Like, I think like the most like the most important matches are like. Sonata and Evil and Naito and Kenta and like you know like I'm curious to see like how Kenta is gonna be like continue to be booked throughout this thing um how yeah like you know how they treat Evil in this obviously like you know Sonata is like the favorite to win the block but like other than that like we talked about it's the block with like the lowest ceiling but like it had like with the lowest ceiling also has like the higher like the highest floor because they don't they don't have Ujiro. Right. The only the only thing to me that was worth talking about from the B block that I wanted to just mention and get into a little bit was just the 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 dynamics when it comes to workload. Um What the fuck is that NBA load management? Is that what they call it in the NBA? Yeah, load yeah, load management. Yeah, load and management. the B block is very load management block. And I think that um it's really easy to overlook because I've heard so many people talk about it when they talk about like someone like Yano um, being like a night off guy. Um, and like, uh. that's the only like very clear guy that anyone talks about in G1 as being like a night off guy. Historically, no one really ever talks about anyone else. But the thing that came to mind when watching uh, Naito versus Saber is that uh, the B block and Saber's role in the G1 is a night off guy. Saber is working a load management for the broken down older wrestlers like Tanahashi, Naito, Goto, Kenta. Like Saber's role is to be a night off guy because he works that, you know, world of sport British style, William Regal, just hold on kind of style where he can take someone like Naito for a nearly 30 minute match. And basically I would assume coming out of that Naito is no worse for wear didn't take a bunch of heavy bumps and bruises, didn't have to do much, and Naito just kind of led him through a like a 30-minute match that's like solidly entertaining and not like a heavy load on Naito to work. So I I think that like it's really easy to look to overlook something like that where it's like actually they the B block has Yoshihashi who works his ass off, but you don't as his opponent, you don't have to do much if you don't want to. You can take that night off. You can work Yano. That's definitely a night off because your match is going to be under 10 minutes and just let Yano do goofy stuff. And you've got Saber, who is also going to be a night off for you. You might have to go long, but you don't have to do a lot. And you can let Saber basically dictate and work the entire match. And then it's like 
Tanahashi, Naito, Kenta, Goto, all those guys, they can, when they wrestle each other, they can, like, take an easy old man night with each other. They can do whatever they want, really. So it's like the B block is the load management block, if you really look at it. And then it's missing, like, the, like the, like the bullshit that goes along with, like, Evil and Kenta matches. Right. Yeah, so it's like you've got a lot of nights off if you're in the B block. You don't have to work all that hard, but a lot of it is, like, kind of covered up. Like, Sabre, I think, is the most glaring example of it, where it's like, I think at the end of a Sabre match, for most fans watching it, you won't think of it as having an easy night off, but you kind of, it kind of is. Because for the wrestlers, they don't have to do a lot, and they can let Sabre do everything, and then at the end of it, it's like, oh, that was a good match or whatever, but they didn't have to, like, kill themselves. Because, I mean, his style is not heavy bumping, you don't have to do a bunch of crazy spots, and you don't even have to think about stuff because Zach is like gonna go out there and work his ass off because he likes to. So it's like it's interesting to see. That's the only that's like the only big thing that I coming out of the the B block that I thought was worth mentioning is like just how how much the B block is like a load management block, um, and they've got a lot of like star power guys in the in on the B block side, but you don't really have to work super hard to get through the tournament and not come across like that you were being lazy and shitty and it's like it it's almost so obvious that it feels like it was done intentionally to have the b block be like the easy block all right um couple quick couple a couple quick notes uh your bully jeff cobb really good tournament so far yeah uh the shing the shing the shingo match and the tyson matches both really really good i don't like his goatee I hate, hate I hate that he has like the little like, yeah. hate hate the white and then like the rest of it is black. I, it's really weird looking, but Jeff Cobb is like you know he signs and now he's like getting his footing. Like he really looks like he belongs. Um, Will Osprey, I don't like how he had this stuff going on and now he comes back working a little heelish. I'm not gonna lie to you. It's, uh, yeah, not not a fan of that. Um, uh, did you like what did you think of Ishii versus Osprey? Uh. I thought it like I enjoyed it, but it I know it could have been a lot better if it wasn't like so like Osprey driven. Yeah, it was it was an Osprey heavy match, I think. It had some some cool spots, but it also had some spots that were just like driving me insane. The 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 springboard drop kick to Ishii on the apron. I had to rewatch that was like that was like that was it that was like that's something like a, a Manami Toyota spot. Yeah. I had to, like, rewatch it multiple times just because of how much it was pissing me off. Like, it really was just, like... I don't know why, but it just was not doing it for me. For a heel... Like, it works for Manami Toyota as a valiant babyface that you, like, get into. But with Osprey yeah. now playing a heel character, he just comes across so fucking stupid. Um, I'm not, So, I'm going to ask you. Um, So, with uh, Okada and Osprey being, like, they, you know, they're, they're facing each other on, like, the... Uh... In, in Sumo Hall, like, do you feel like, you know, there's going to be a thing throughout the tournament with Will? Like, if you look through the tournament, you know, you look through, you see, you see Jay, you see, uh, you see Suzuki, you see Taichi, you see Yujiro, um, and Shingo being more of a tweener, but like, you know, none of these, like, other than Jay White, none of these heels here, you know, are, are really like a foil. I guess, like, Minoru Suzuki could upset somebody, so could Taichi, but like, 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 there's like, it's really like fascinating to me how they're like, how they're positioning Osprey. It feels like uh, now that they're putting on more, putting on more muscle and you know, change, changing his character slightly, and like knowing that he's facing Okada in Sumo Hall, where he and he did beat Tanahashi and, Buda, and Budokan last year. 
I'm not sure that like I can rule out the possibility of him like you know beating beating Okada possibly or like you know this being a thing that follows through all the way until Sumo Hall where Will Ospreay's on this run he gets really arrogant and cocky and then here comes like you know his big brother about to like, come to, um, to knock him down a peg yeah it I think it could go either way but I do think that it's going to be important the thing that I wonder about is the difference between this kind of G1 run slash transitioning heel run compared to like last year where they did a similar thing with Kenta um, where it felt like Kenta was like purely babyface and like really like kind of missing something but like you were able to tell more stories and like kind of slow burn the turn throughout the tournament because you like had other things going on Um, where this because it's like so little else you can't really develop much of the story and Osprey has been pretty clearly feeling like he's teasing a heel turn throughout the tournament um so i do wonder how that develops because it feels very similar to me as like the last year kenta thing where it was like kenta was like a shaky baby face throughout the tournament and then when he turned heel afterwards it made sense and this it feels like they're like rushing it more because they're not able they don't have the filler and the extra stuff um going on around everything um, that said, I mean, clearly the payoff has to be with the, the Osprey Okada thing. It just depends on how they go. This feels more rushed than normal. Like I said, it feels more rushed than normal what you would do in New Japan or what they would do in New Japan here. So, and, 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 and that partially probably is like probably is because like, you know, of, of COVID and everything like Osprey was already solidified as moving up to heavyweight. Um, and, you know, I guess, you know, like, they did like they didn't really have the time. Like Osprey was gone, they couldn't really like you know they couldn't really just you know like extend the story or like you know set the seeds for the story you know the way they would have. But you know, and it's interesting that this guy comes back and like he beats he beats Yujiro and he cuts his promo about being the best wrestler in the world and like you know patting himself on the back and the way he's acting towards Ishii like it feels like a thing that like you know knowing New Japan they would have built to they just didn't get a chance to with Osprey. Right. Yeah, so it is kind of like I don't know. That's why that's why the last night is so intriguing, really, because it has to be important for this story. For the way that this story is going, Osprey versus Okada has to be a big deal. Um, it just uh, how's it? What's it going to be like? Yeah, I I, I don't I don't know like because it, it could go either just, way. It could just it could it could just be Okada turn like you know. You know, Osprey coming in, Osprey coming in, coming in cocky, still in contention, and Okada knocks him down a peg. Or, like, you know, what if like, you know Okada does win and like, you know Osprey turns, or what if Osprey knocks Okada out, or something, or something like that? Like, you know, we don't yeah. know. Like Jay White is still in his block. Like, um, and that's like, what's bringing what's going to bring this to Jay White in a second? Uh, Ishii versus Minoru Suzuki. I'm not, I'm not sure you felt about it. I love that match. Yeah. I thought that was really, really good. The best match on that first night. Uh, Shingo versus Jay White. Obviously, like Shingo and Shingo's the fucking man, and Shingo versus uh, Cobb on on the next A Block show was awesome too. But Jay White coming back and has not missed a step. Uh, no. In fact, not, he might be better. He, he yeah, yeah, <laughs> he might be better. Um, my favorite thing is when Jay is Jay White and Jay White versus Ibushi. Yes, and. Jay White trolling the crowd because they're like you know, one of the rules of going to the going to the shows is 
they can clap, but they can't cheer. Yeah. Like, and Jay, like, to, trying to, like, trying to tell, like, go on, Ibushi, Ibushi, come on, Ibushi. Champ, Ibushi. Champ, Champ, yeah. Go on, oh, wait, you can't yeah. do that. Like, yeah, and it was like, so good. T- oh, my fucking God. Yeah. Um, but Jay White, like, so much, so much of the talk has been on, been on Okada and, you know, other guys, you know, like, Will Ospreay's story and, you know, Shingo being awesome again and Ishii being, you know, awesome, but Jay White, again, like, real sneaky like he's he's back and like might be better than ever right no it's 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 nuts and it's was, i think it was like Meltzer probably like saying like oh you know jay white was getting mad at the crowd for not cheering or he's like t- you know, telling the crowd to cheer and just completely overlooked that like no he's fucking with the crowd because they should be cheering he he's like oh teasing God. that they can't cheer i was just like are you are how how is this the like guy? A, like a dude, like like a dude, like a dude that covered world class championship wrestling. Like <laughs> he just does like it, does not understand a heel. He's completely missing it. It's just it's insane to because especially because he's like the the person that people listen to. I would not give a fuck about Meltzer for any other reason than like the fact that people lend his reviews and his opinion credibility. Like I would not harp on him if it wasn't for that fact. But it is like he is so uncredible that it's like. Why do people act like he fucking has anything to say and is worth talking about? Um, that said, I mean, another thing about this, and I, I came out of it, or I'm coming out of the, the tournament so far with the A block, having so many stories that I think that, like, one thing that's kind of overlooked is, like, Abushi. Like, Abushi feels like he could be the next Tanahashi, but it's like he's. I talked about it before how it's so funny that they treat his storyline with Tanahashi that, like, he looks up to Tanahashi as like this amazing god of him that he you know grew up idolizing. Which, which is the thing, like he, he also said that like he views Tanahashi yeah, yeah. like a god. Yeah, but they 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 present it that way, and it's like he's like I think like five years younger than Tanahashi. Like he's not. Yeah, he Ibu- yeah, Bushi's like thirty five. Yeah, he didn't grow up <laughs> idolizing Tanahashi. Like that's the thing that I always find very funny, and it sucks because like I was saying, like he's not. He's not really young to where he can be the next Tanahashi, but it feels like they're really positioning him that way. And he is delivering. I mean, as a just baby face, like, especially you talked about the Jay White stuff, but like, especially in that Jay White match, like he, oh. he is <laughs> phenomenal. He sold his legs so good throughout the entire match, I thought. And that's like something that people have shit on him forever. He's the crowd fucking loves him. He just, he... He's channeling Tanahashi, like, super well. And I do think we probably end up with them, with Ibushi versus Tanahashi, maybe at the Dome this year, maybe next year, maybe a year after that. Who knows? But I think at some point we end up with an Ibushi-Tanahashi match at the Dome that is, like, match or career versus career or something. I feel like they're really setting something up where you could do, tell a really cool story of, like, Abushi trying to put Tanahashi down. You know what I mean? And, like, that doesn't even necessarily mean that Tanahashi will actually retire out of it, but it does feel like that's, like, the story that you could be telling, and it would be, like, super cool to, like, see it get, get like, finally followed through on. But, like, yeah, like, he... It's really fucking crazy to watch Abushi in here because... He's telling the story. That's why I think it might be this year that they go to something like that. They did the tag title run, and it just feels like throughout the G1 so far, I mean, it's only two matches, but it really feels like he's, like, 
channeling Tanahashi, like completely trying to like everything he's doing feels like it could be something you could see Tanahashi doing in a lot of his a lot of his matches. So we'll see um, where that goes. But that that's like a that's a weird story that I think is like really subtle that's happening like on the A block and the A block is just like fuck. There's so much going on. Like you talked about, there's just like so much interesting shit happening and then like Yujiro <laughs> it's like the A block kicks ass and then Yujiro is also there um, but speaking of that the second worst wrestler in the tournament like you said Taichi versus Suzuki I'm I'm sorry but that match fucking ruled like yeah. what what the fuck was that here's the thing, Look, here's the thing. if Taichi leaves certain things alone like he is capable. Like, I like I've seen him like have like like cool ass finishing stretches, and like he can kick the shadow people. Like he can be entertaining. It's just a matter of like if they're gonna if they're gonna let him do that or not. Like, do I want to see him in a fucking thirty minute match of Okada? Of course not. Absolutely not. But like in a 12, 30 minute match where he can just like go up there and just like bomb with somebody. Yeah, I can. I'll, I'm more than fine with Tai Chi in that scenario, which is why like I, when I said like second worst, like. I remember this is a really good roster of wrestlers, right. and like, you know him like, and, and I, I, I just have to be someone that thinks that Yoshihashi like is a like you know isn't a terrible wrestler. I, I, like, Yoshihashi has done good wrestling. Yeah, that's. I mean, that is definitely fair. I will say I'm not gonna argue with you on that, but yeah, he's a uh, that match. We'll see where they go from there because we're still early. Um, as we're recording, I think the fifth night is tonight or is it tomorrow night. Either way. Uh yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be in the in the morning. Um, yeah. and that card is yeah, Taichi versus Yujiro. So we're get we're getting out the, we're getting that out the way early. Uh, Minoru Suzuki versus Jeff Cobb. Uh, you know the one that you've been looking forward to and really and really trying to see like how that's how that one's gonna go. Yeah. Uh, Ishi versus Ibushi, Takagi versus Osprey, and Okada versus Jay White. Yeah, and this is the night and, that that. You know, everybody has on paper as being like the 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 show of the tournament, right? When people saw the cards come out, this was the one that everyone. Thought Okada, 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 Jay, like is is a super inconsistent matchup. Like right. their first one, it like you know was like fine. They meet each other. They meet each other at the dome. Like they knock it out of the park, and then they have the Master Square Garden match, and that's like a really divisive match. So like that one can go either way, but between at least like. At least, like, Cobb, so far, I'm excited for that Suzuki match. Yeah. So, and, I mean, both of them have been delivering, so. Yeah, and then Ibushi, and then Ibushi Ishii, and then Osprey Takagi, like, and Osprey Shingo. Like, I'm not worried about either of those. Yeah. I mean, Osprey, Osprey Shingo, like, floor is, like, four stars. You know what I mean? They have, like, those guys, they're, they're, yeah, like, they're their first that. time, like, they're, like, one of the, <laughs> their first time having a match with each other in, like, over a year. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, so we'll see. And yeah, Abushi, Abushi Ishi can be interesting, especially with yeah. the with the narratives that are going on right now in the tournament so far. Um, both guys. I mean, if they just went balls to the walls and just had a crazy ass fight, I think we could see something insane. But I think that with extra story and the selling, that's been. I think that's like the thing that's standing out to me is this year is like this is Abushi's storytelling selling year. That's why it almost. I think it might not be insane to think that Ibushi could win again, just with like what I've seen so far, because it feels like he's having like a, a like a really focused, 
he's like giving these epic performances which like who knows i mean it's probably not what's going to happen but i wouldn't be shocked that it wouldn't be this wouldn't be his year like to win i mean i mean i mean, I mean he, he he is paired off paired off with tai chi on this on the on the sumo hall night right so like i don't so like i i, I, I for that reason i'll say probably not but like you know i i wonder like how they treat him like that like that's like that's me like uh, what i'm more curious about like right. do they treat him like 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 a contender is he gonna get spoiled by tai chi like i wonder how he's gonna get treated going like, like going into those nights yeah definitely um Definitely not the best positioning, but also like Tai Chi's on a run right now, so it's possible that by the end of the thing, Tai Chi is like in striking distance, but he's probably not. I'd be shocked if they have Tai Chi still in play by the final night. That would be, that'd be fucking wild. Um, and 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 I, th- and I think Zach and Tana are like squared off on the sumo on the on the, the B box B block sumo hall show too. Yeah. So, like like it's looking like they probably go back to that after. G-Bong. Yeah, yeah, that would make the most sense, and I think that. Yeah, Ibushi Tanahashi doing a, a feud, like actually wrestling each other, could be pretty solid. And it is, it wouldn't be surprising because it makes sense, like that's pretty basic, like, or common New Japan booking is to like have tag team and tag team title run, like be the the primer for a feud, like, or not even a feud, but like elevation. Like, I didn't think about it until like the tournament has started, but Evil and Sonata their tag team title run was like kind of realistically used just to elevate them into where now like they're both players in this tournament you know evil won the title Mm -hmm. obviously but it is like looking back on it now it's like that crazy ass long boring shitty tag team title run between sonata and evil i think was meant to be like a way to build them both up to being like top level guys and now coming out of this g1 i think that's where we're going to be at is that they're both going to be like main event level people and i think that they use that tag title run as like the setup for that um so similar with like abushi and tanahashi i think that their tag title run was meant to be the 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 setup for something moving forward with them which i think is going to be a feud between them which will be fun and i will i will actually enjoy seeing where that goes because i think that you can definitely see something cool there uh you've got like tanahashi who's a fucking wrestling genius against Ibushi who basically I think can execute anything I don't think that like there's anything that you could tell Ibushi to do in wrestling that he can't do I think the problem is is that he can't come up with stuff so that's why like that's why New Japan's kind of perfect for Ibushi because he doesn't you don't let any of Ibushi's brain worms like affect his matches you just go out there and tell him what to do and he'll like execute it perfectly so him and Tanahashi are like fucking probably perfect matches for each other all right. Anything else you want to hit before we get out of here? No. Uh, I think that's about it. Um, yeah. All right, and then we'll be back, and we'll uh, try. We'll, we'll try. We'll try to keep squeezing more of that tournament coverage. Like I don't want it to just be like all G one all the time. So like, whatever like N one ROA Champions Carnival we can get to. Like I, I really want to make sure we get to it in the next episode. So thank you all for thank you all for listening, and hope you're here next time.
Show me love, give me love 